Avengers Age of Ultron is garbage, folks. Is it an alligator or a crocodile? I don't know the difference, and at this point I'm too afraid to ask. Look at that. That is a werewolf. <laughs> Welcome to Marvel Standom, where we like to dig into the world of Marvel Comics, the MCU, and sometimes some weird-ass Marvel stuff from the past. I'm your host, Den of Geek News and Features Editor Kirsten Howard, and joining me live this week are Den of Geek TV Editor Alec Bajalad, pop culture writer, Den of Geek contributor, and my biological son, Joe George. And for the first time on this show, we're lucky to have Tim Worthington, host of the Marvel podcast, It's Good, Except It Sucks. Thank you, Tim, for joining us to talk about the first episode of Secret Invasion, which had some big shocks, but we'll get to those in a bit. Uh, Tim, can you tell us a bit about your background and your podcast? Right. Well, I usually describe myself as writer and occasional broadcaster because I do write a lot. I very occasionally broadcast. If you're in the UK... If you've got Channel 5 on at 3 in the morning, there's a very good chance you'll see me talking about TV's most disastrous disasters or, you know, one of those clip show things, occasionally on the radio. But generally, you'll find me in Doctor Who magazine, Vintage Rock magazine, places like that. I contribute sort of bits and pieces about overlooked, really, or undervalued pop culture from the past to a lot of places. But I do have my own site timworthington.org which is where you'll find my Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast it's good they've it sucks which Kirsten you've actually been on talk about werewolf by night yes the story behind all of that it kind of got out of control because I just started it more or less in anger when you know there was the big tranche of Ken Loach and Martin Scorsese Jennifer Addiston all kinds of people going over the mark you know they were just content to say, I'm not interested in superhero films. It had to be everyone who watches them is helping Hitler win. You know, they're killing pure cinema. We will stop this. So that's kind of where, I mean, the name comes from in Infinity War, from the Star-Lord's line. But I kind of felt it suited it because I'm not saying these things are high art, but they're worthy of so much more discussion. They, you know, a really sniffy critical dismissal. And it started with just, it was... The first six or so episodes of it are just my mates and the people I go to the cinema with, and that was the ethos of it, really. In fact, you can hear the one about the Incredible Hulk with Gary Bainbridge recorded in a cafe. You can't actually just about tell that. But then lockdown happened, and it became a more serious thing. It was sort of broken in. Everyone that I knew just because I needed people to talk to. And went through the whole thing, all the... You know, the ABC series and all, and then went into the past and so on. And the thing is, I've tried to get a wide range of guests as well. There's people like uh, your good friend here, Al Kennedy, who's been on a few times. And obviously, he is very deeply invested in all things Marvel. On the other hand, I've had people who know nothing at all about anything to do with it, including one of my favourite ones with was with Joanne Shepard, who's a literary reviewer, who did a sort of second look at... Well, I call it Avengers Assemble. I know that everyone does, but took a second look at that. And she had literally, she knew nothing about any of them, bar having seen the 
Bill Bixby Incredible Hulk TV series when she was you know, four or five. And that was fascinating because everything in it was new to her. And the family's having to explain Rick Jones and things like that. So <laughs> but I do a couple of other things. Do a nostalgia podcast called Looks and Familiar, where me and a guest talk about things that they remember that nobody else really ever seems to. And I've had some names on there and some people have just discovered on you know Twitter and Instagram and so on. Uh, that there has occasionally been Marvel kind of content on there. When I was a guest once on Spider-Woman cartoon, which aged five or something, I absolutely loved. I gather it's not that popular now. But and actually Al was on once and he talked about Janice Fell, the forgotten Captain Marvel. And that is a really, really funny discussion because you know, having to talk about this character that not even a lot of Marvel fans are that au fait with in the sort of context where the wider world will get it. But yeah, that's all at timwerden.org if you want to have a listen in and welcome on board because I'm really, really proud of it's good except it sucks because I feel, you know, I keep them as short as possible. And it's just nice to be able to say what we like about things. Yes, there is a positive one about Morbius, believe it or not. And even one guest found something positive to say about the 2015 Fantastic Four but I won't spoil what that was. Well, I'd like you to, but maybe we'll do it later. (laughs) (laughs) What have you been your favourite MCU things, would you say, overall? So we can get a kind of vibe for the sort of stuff that you like before we talk about this new series. My favourites overall would be the most of the Ant-Man movies, I have some thoughts about Quantumania, which I liked without loving, Guardians of the Galaxy, but I also loved Captain America, The Winter Soldier, I think is one of the greatest films ever made. Far From Home, I was very keen on. And I really, over and above everything else, I really love the Netflix shows, including, I'm going to have to be careful I'll say this, Iron Fist, I thought wasn't brilliant, but I still liked it as part of, Everything and I love the Defenders. Again, I know it's not popular, but I love that, and I loved Agents of Shield as well. It, there's very little of it. It's easy to say what I don't like, which is basically <laughs> the Dark World, Inhumans, and season one of Agents of Shield. I think that's it, really. I even think the Incredible Hulk is a good movie. It just isn't anything to do with the MCU at all. Well, it's a shame Mike isn't here because he'd love to meet a fellow uh, defender of Iron Fist, which he, uh, yeah, he will, he will go to that for. <laughs> yeah, there's two of you. <laughs> okay. Um, well, we'll get into it then. Well, let's take a look at Secret Invasion. I'll just do a quick rundown of the plot, just in case anyone who's listening on a podcast in a little, a little while from now can get um, a little bit of a memory jog about what this episode was about. Um, In the premiere of Secret Invasion, Nick Fury returns to Earth from his time aboard the Sabre space station to a muted welcome. Many of the refugee Skrulls he promised he'd find a new home planet for back in the 1990s have gone rogue, including Talos's grown-up daughter, Gaia. Talos remains Nick's close ally, and the two try to stop the terrorist plans of Skrull faction leader Gravik from being carried out in Russia, as an attack there that masquerades as being by the Americans could start World War III. But Nick, Talos, and Maria Hill fail to stop the attack, 
And Gravik guns down Maria in front of Fury's eyes as the episode comes to a close. Big shocks all round. I'm going to start with you, Tim. What did you think of this premiere episode? I really enjoyed it, but I am wondering of the, about the balance between whether it was more finding it interesting than finding it exciting throughout, because I think it's intriguing the direction they've chosen to go with this. I mean, given the overall context of, you know, there, there are people for some reason that want superhero movies to fall, would they have wanted the Westerns to fall in the 50s? Is it, you know, I don't quite understand why people would say, I don't watch these things, therefore they must stop. But this is completely against sort of the, the perceived trend, the perceived style. It's more like, I would say, the Punisher, as in, as in the Netflix The Punisher, not the Dolph Lundgren one, let's be <laughs> clear about that. There's nothing really like that. But it really struck me that there's very little in it, at least in this first episode, unless you count the, you know, when you see the sort of reprogramming room and, you know, the absorb their memories sort of business, there's nothing in it that's really that science fiction-y. Even them turning it across, they could just be, you know, those devious foreign people in disguise. It, you know, there is nothing at all on the table. It is like the sort of thing that people who would say, for example, don't watch Iron Fist, how dare you watch this very cerebral thing I've discovered on Hulu or something. But, you know, it's what they would choose to watch. And it's interesting to have taken that direction in this context. So this felt like very prestige TV to you, in a way. It did, but still with tongue very much in cheek. And also put character first and explanation first. I don't think anyone watching this who wasn't up to speed things would be confused by it. I suppose you could argue they don't really explain what the snap is, but you would have to have been snapped yourself, you know, not to be aware of the fact that there was this huge franchise, had this huge storyline in it. So that's the one thing I think they don't, provide any sort of background to but everything else I think is really clearly set out and again I wouldn't recommend it as a jumping on point for people but it could actually in theory serve as well. See I thought when I watched this I thought it was actually not for MCU newbies <laughs> I, I couldn't imagine anyone being shocked by Everett K. Ross being unmasked as a scroll. but perhaps if you're just watching it and you came into it and you knew nothing about the MCU, well, you'd be like, wow, he's an alien. You wouldn't even think to connect it to anything else anyway. Um, Joe, what did you think this first episode? I mean, I, I thought it was fine, which sounds more down than I actually am with it. You know, uh, I, I agree with what Tim's saying that it felt like a shift as far as genre goes. Um, and this first episode is very exposition heavy, which... I didn't have too much of a problem with because, you know, it's it's all people that I like to watch. You know, I I, I could hear Samuel L. Jackson and Ben Mendelsohn and Olivia Coleman talk about whatever and and completely enjoy that. As far as as kind of the, the jumping in for newbies, I I agree that perhaps like the Everett K. Ross and the blip things might throw people. But I don't know. I I I got to agree that I felt like this was sort of trying to onboard folks that may not be interested in, um, you know, the, the usual kind of tights and capes 
sort of Marvel stuff and give them a different genre within the world, which is something I've really wanted to see, you know, in, in these shows. I, I hope they kind of stay the course, but this first episode, it felt like a lot of setup mostly for me and we'll see where it goes from there. Do you think people who watch, because uh, it's spy shows like uh, The Night Agent on Netflix and stuff like that, that are really popular. Do you feel like this is accessible in a similar way to perhaps like more casual viewers who just want a good spy story? Or is it a little bit too involved? That's an interesting question because it gives you all the information you need right up front. Like even if you don't know whoever Ross is, you know, the, 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 you know who Martin Freeman is and you, you know, they give you enough to tell you, oh, he shouldn't be an alien. <laughs> and even if you don't know what the blip is, the kind of the main thrust of Fury is old and has been out of step and is returning to a world that he may not be ready for. That That's all legible enough. That said, I don't, gosh, I'm, I'm not a big spy thriller person uh, in, in my regular life. So I don't know that it's fitting you know, that it's meeting that need, uh, at least this particular episode. I didn't find it particularly thrilling or exciting, uh, even even the last bits. Um, like I said, kind of all set up. So, gosh, I don't know. Well, Alec, we heard some of your thoughts last week, uh, some non-spoilery thoughts, but here's your chance to uh, open up a can of whatever on Secret Invasion. <laughs> Feel free. I don't know, man. <laughs> um, I'm all about Tim's mission to find merit uh, in these kind of stories because I do think it's, I mean, anything this huge is always worth talking about. Um, kind of the, the, the story of Western culture is tied up in the stories of these comic book movies and the Marvel Cinematic Universe and what they do well and what they do don't well. Um, but after having watched this episode twice, I find just so little that warrants any kind of discussion in it one way or the other. It feels to me just plainly boring, full stop. If I could only choose one word, it would be boring. I was bored. Uh, I don't think this is a particularly exciting way of telling the story. I don't think anybody's really on their A game. Uh, I'm sure there's room for improvement in the remaining five episodes. Uh, I won't judge the entire experience based on it's the first sixth of it, but um, yeah, I mean, I know the name of the show is Marvel Standom, and I want to, I want to stand so bad for you guys. <laughs> I want to stand so bad. There's nothing I want more in the world to stand. But this, regretfully, I cannot stand. I think it's just boring. It's not worth discussion. It's not really worth doing anything with. Is it the lack of superheroes? Is it the writing? Is it the pacing? What do you, as the TV editor here, um, when you turn your critical eye to it, what do you feel like the flaws are? Um, I think a lot of it comes down to writing. I do think it's structured strangely. I was re-watching it this morning um, and you got like, uh, again, it's a bit of a challenge to kind of get through the whole thing without my eyes glazing over. Another thing you guys have to keep in mind is that I watch, you know, 150 hours of TV a week or something, like something absurd. <laughs> like, I really need my attention grabbed. Like, it needs to slap me in the face so I can actually pay attention and not, like, you know, look at the 
increasingly large pile of screeners next to me. But structurally speaking, there's just weird things in this that don't work that kind of like rob it of momentum a lot. When I was rewatching it this morning, I noticed there's a scene, the scene in which uh, Talos and Nick encounter that scroll and beat him up. And then the scene in which Maria and Talos meet Gaia are just back to back. Like there's no space between them. Talos dusted himself off after that fight. <laughs> and went to an underground in Moscow to be like, now here's the next scene I need to do. Uh, there's just kind of like little forward momentum. A lot of it reminds me of the worst of these, uh, of the Marvel shows in which it feels like they're doing things just to do them, not because the people on screen are compelled for, by their own motivations and desires to do them. I get what they're going for with Old Man Fury, and I like that conceptually, but I, I mean, ever since Skyfall, uh, the James Bond movie, I feel like every single action franchise has acknowledged how old their lead is. <laughs> and I just feel like it's a sign of like cultural decay almost. Like we don't find new younger actors, so we just trot out these old guys continually. But then we want to make the like lampshade it by acknowledging that they're old. It's like, no, man, just let Sam Jackson cook. Like let him do his thing. Despite my best efforts not to, I have thoughts and feelings on this. Well, thank you for sharing them. Okay, I'll go home. <laughs> yeah, that's the end of the episode, folks. So the scrolls in this, what, what in this is that everything's quite dour. Everything's quite gray. There's almost a Chernobyl like <laughs> vibe to this thing. Um, but you do have aliens, you know, running around. You do have actors running around in goofy green masks. It feels like that that's a part a part of it that doesn't really work for me. I think it's because it's it is quite serious. And just uh, that the juxtaposition of that against like scrolls just doesn't work i felt like captain marvel got the right idea by bringing these guys in you know they're often outdated villains in a way and to bring them in as allies and have them it be a twist that they're actually good guys um was really a, a wise decision and now the messaging in this is like if you invite refugees into your home they could steal your jobs and become violent and i feel like that's a very odd thing to wrap this series around and very problematic um so I feel like where you know they had lots of options and last week we read uh, a series called meet the scrolls a marvel comic series very good um but they they chose to do this instead and I guess because secret invasion uh, the event uh, the comic was such a big event and so they feel like they have to make an event series um but they are making it with kind of minor characters in the mcu so it's it's a bit of an odd mix well i will say it's just occurred to me there's a slight danger that obviously we've only seen one episode out of six but that the right. plot could start to go down the same route as the falcon and the winter soldier it's just you mentioning, you know, the if you let refugees in, they may start, you know, that being the undertone of it. That is exactly what happened with the Plug Smashers. And, you know, that's a little bit of a concern. But I just wanted to bring up you mentioning that it had that kind of, that dark feel, like Chernobyl, like a lot of contemporary shows was. I watched it on my TV this morning and I had two train journeys a day. On both of them, I saw people because most of it is in darkness, struggling to watch it on their phones and their tablets, you know, really sort of 
holding it up, like moving it around, trying to see what was happening. So obviously we live in this situation now where I don't even buy the thing about people saying, if you want to avoid spoilers, stay off, stay off social media, because you can't help it. You know, you get recommendations you don't want, piped at you by Facebook and so on. You cannot avoid spoilers unless you turn off everything and lock yourself in one room until you've seen something. And so people are in the situation where they've got to try and watch something as soon as they can to avoid that. But if you then made a show they literally cannot watch, you know, does that make the streaming model a little bit less seaworthy than we're continually told it is? And so that's a completely different question to what do you make a secret invasion? But I feel there's some some relevance in that. I could go long on that um, just because <laughs> like there are certain things that I'm just no longer able to watch because I have like the most up-to-date Samsung TV that for some reason can't accommodate the most up-to-date streaming format on Netflix. <laughs> like whatever it's HDR is or like it's super HD vision, um, anything that came out on Netflix after like 2021 is a just black sludge on my TV. I want to go back just a second, though, and, and, and touch on the Falcon and Winter Soldier and the Captain Marvel sort of things, because I've got that same thought going into it. And I am the defender of Falcon and Winter Soldier here uh, on the show, so, because I, I, I think for all the flaws that Alec has pointed out so well, <laughs> I think that there's still something I can't complain about a show that ends with Captain America giving people a a, a, a a speech. That's just what I want out of that character. You're spot on to point out that the the, the politics of the show and its treatment of refugees is is sketchy in a way that Captain Marvel wasn't. You know that was that was the best part I think of that movie. Besides Brie Larson and Samuel L. Jackson just kind of hanging out. That that part's delightful. And then the the way that it's cleverly put in this story about <laughs> Mid East crisis and and refugee crisis and told it in this great cosmic way um, was the best part of that movie. And as we talked about Falcon and Winter Soldier, it it sets up this idea that displaced people and refugees um, are facing a legitimate crisis and and uh, are being ignored by the powers that be only to kind of slap that down. So we talked about before, um, I, I fear that we're headed even more in that direction this way, because where Captain America, whether it's Steve Rogers or Sam Wilson, is you know, the, the tension of Captain America is always that he is uh, loyal to nothing but the dream to, you know, do the Frank Miller great bit uh, that often puts against, you know, this ideal that puts him against the actual America. Uh, that's not what Nick Fury <laughs> ever is. Nick Fury is a spy, a nationalist, a, you know, his job is to do nasty things for the good of his country. And, and so by placing him at the center of this, it moves away kind of those high-minded ideas that for as flawed as maybe they were uh, uh, executed, especially in Falcon and Winter Soldier, they were at least going for it. I'm really afraid, and I don't see how they're going to get around it, by making Nick Fury the hero, that at the end of the day, America is going to have strong borders, you know, is what he's going to be going for. He may be throwing on a red hat and replacing his cool Nick cap by the end of it. I'm worried about that. That makes a lot of sense, Joe. And while you were talking about that, it made me realize that a lot of the recent Marvel villains have had, for lack of a better word, like decent politics. Like they have 
generally the right idea, but then the execution is like, I'm going to blow up an orphanage to end racism <laughs> or something like um, I'm starting to realize, like literally just now as we're talking, I think that might be a byproduct of the writers of these shows and movies feeling that they have more latitude to write fresh stories for villains than they do the heroes. Because kind of like you said, with Nick Fury and Cap, they're both fairly static. Like you, there's wiggle room, you can, for room for interpretation. Uh, but Steve Rogers has been around forever. Like he is who he is. And uh, whatever latest writer from an indie movie that Kevin Feige plucked from obscurity is not going to really feel empowered to mess around with him that that much. Whereas they probably feel like they have more room to do something fresh with these villains. And that's why for so many movies in a row now, um, we get just kind of like these vaguely leftist bad guys who also want to kill a lot of people. I mean, we haven't heard what's happened to the flag smasher cause, you know, to those people who were displaced and had rightful uh, anger about it and frustration and we didn't have not seen that that's been cleared up in any way it just kind of gets left after Sam makes a speech and I, I yeah I worry that with this show it's gonna be like well we defeated the bad scrolls that have had enough of being treated like crap by us and and then uh, that that's all that matters okay bye-bye there were some explosions and um you know, some surprises and maybe a couple of cameos and uh, don't worry about that anymore. And it's like, but I I want to get involved in something. Like, I want to care about something more than uh, just for a few hours of this series. Like, I want I want to care about it. And it, especially as we are sort of getting involved with characters that perhaps haven't had much screen time in terms of like Nick Fury. He had the Captain Marvel movie, but other than that, he's only popped up briefly. And it's it's just so great that Samuel Jackson's been given this opportunity to do more on screen. And then we have um, Maria Hill, who we're going to talk about now. Obviously, we may have thought that, yes, indeed, she RIP Maria, RIP to a real one. She, we may have thought she was the co-star of this series, but Kobe Smulders is, uh, Maria Hill is dead, dead, dead after this episode. A shocking climax to the episode. Um, if you know and care who Maria Hill is, if you do not, maybe it's just, okay, that, that makes sense <laughs> now. Um, how do we feel about this climax? Is, is the Marvel fridging Maria Hill uh, the usual... Uh, discourse of course online among the stands and just people who watch this stuff because they are in it and they're in it till the end uh alec any uh, any thoughts on maria's death no i yeah. will okay. wait to see <laughs> sorry in terms of the, <laughs> the bridging aspect i think it's something they've avoided very very well so if I was, you look at as much as i love deadpool 2 that has an example of blatant fridging, you know, in a movie based on the character that the term fridging was invented for. But I think the MCU have generally avoided that, even when there's been motivation, like the Star Lord Gamora thing in Infinity War. It's not quite, you know, because he does the stupidest, most calamitous thing in the whole movie. It's not a heroic thing at all. So how Nick Fury reacts to it will be interesting because, you know, this is Nick Fury. This isn't somebody who will just say guru guru revenge so yeah but i i'm not mad generally on killing characters off anyway 
I mean, I don't know, because I'm really from sort of a Doctor Who background as well. And there is, you know, famously, there's that Christopher Eccleston one at the Doctor Dances where he actually says at the end, just for once, nobody dies. And that's a really important moment. And unfortunately, it doesn't exist. But what's considered to be the best story in the 60s, Fury from the Deep, no character dies in. And, you know, I don't, people have this obsession with killing characters. That was a criticism I've heard of heroes a lot, was they never kill anyone off. Why do they need to? I don't, you know, but it's almost like, in this, it just felt like adding a beat to the end of the episode. It sounds like a disappointing thing about the whole episode, really. It wasn't as a cliffhanger. It's not very inventive. That's, to use another Doctor Who analogy, as literal as the one where Sylvester McCoy was hanging off a cliff at the end of the episode, which did actually happen. Nobody's ever seen that. But yeah, I felt kind of that's ironically that missed the target a bit. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. It was I, I I have a lot of affection for comic book Maria Hill. Um, and Kobe Smulders is is likable on screen, but wh- what's her character? I mean, <laughs> she she gets a couple of fun moments pushing back at Fury in this uh, in this episode, but I don't feel like this is a terribly great loss, and I and, and it makes the episode feel uh, cynical in, in that way, and opens it up for the like you said those fridging complaints, which depending on where the episode next episode goes or after that may or may not be valid, but it, it, it was a bummer of an ending, not because oh no Maria Hill's dead, but why would you do that? The the the, the cost is going to have has so little payoff right now. So Smulders has been playing Maria Hill for eleven years in the MCU, on and off. They've not spent much time on their character. Is that fair to say? <laughs> I don't think they've ever had any interest in expanding her character anywhere. And so, just to see her gun down just to prove to Nick that this situation is serious you know is personal things just got personal you know it's the sort of uh, trope and um, feels like kind of yeah, well I guess you did that but it would have been nicer to see Maria maybe explored a bit further <laughs> instead instead of just gun down <laughs> but um whatever I'm sure there are plenty of people that were shocked by it and uh, it made for a good cliffhanger for them uh, for the first episode and maybe people will come back next week to see if she's makes it out somehow or she t- her body turns into a scroll or something like that but um I, i'm not i'm not sure how many people will be coming back for next next episode we'll we'll wait and see on that one another thing i wanted to talk about was um olivia coleman in this because i see she's great actress she isn't given much to do in this first episode, but she manages to make a meal out of it because she's Olivia Coleman. She's brilliant. Um, how do we feel about her character? And are we looking forward to seeing more of her in the future? And the same for Amelia Clark, actually, because she tends to get uh, the rough end of the stick a bit after Game of Thrones. And uh, a lot of people saying that, you know, she's not a very good actress and stuff like that. I, I don't personally agree with that, but um, I think it's just the Terminator genesis of it all uh it didn't really go well for her and there's been a couple of other projects that haven't really made a big splash are these good additions to the mcu all right i need to interject just for a second oh. and say last christmas is great that's a, she needs to be in more rom-coms she's delightful in that that's a really good movie you guys should all watch it even if you 
think that the twist is ridiculous. So I need to stick up for her there. Okay, is that a, is that a Paul Feige? Feige it is a Paul Feige. Feig? I don't know. Uh, Feige. Yeah. Feige. <laughs> is it Feige? Paul, uh, Feig. Paul Feig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, is that a Paul Feig movie? It is a Paul Feig movie, and I think it's one of his better ones uh, uh, since he's kind of hit or miss. But anyway, just needed to throw that out there. As far as your actual question, uh, they're all likable on screen. I mean, especially like you said, the Olivia Coleman fit. It's to like they just said, ah, do your thing, you know. And sure enough, her thing is delightful. We'll. I, I don't know that I'm actually that involved in what she was saying. I mean, it's just one more person who shows up to put the screws to Fury and say, you know, you're you're you've lost a step. And at that point, I'm like, yeah, we we got it. He, he's he's behind. We we don't need that. But again, it's exposition delivered delightfully so what are you going to do so uh, olivia coleman is the one aspect of this show that i can really be unreservedly enthusiastic about um like any complaints i have about this show always know it comes with an asterisk of except for olivia coleman screen time <laughs> and like i'm not even like I, I i wouldn't necessarily describe myself as olivia coleman super fan like i've always enjoyed it when she pops up and things but i don't have like an encyclopedic knowledge of all of olivia coleman's obscure british tv roles uh i'm just not about the coleman life like that <laughs> you need Man. to enter your coleman era Alex. She, like, she, she is so transparently better than any other any other single thing on screen when she's on it in this show and yeah she's awesome uh i i would watch she just made the show about her um as for the amelia clark of it all though joe you're absolutely right i did not see that film but like, if you watch just like Amelia Clark in interviews or whatever, which I had, I, I did many times as a Game of Thrones fan and covering the show for so many years, she is like a level ninety goofball. Best season ever. She's just like a little anime character who has like a hilarious laugh and a big smile and is just a goober. Um, and I don't know why. <laughs> I don't. I mean, I guess it's because of the Daenerys of it all, but I don't feel like getting cast in this role is a particularly good use of her talents. I liked what she did, but also, again, there's a danger of, well, they're very different characters. Is it, we haven't really met Julia Louis-Dreyfus as um, Vanessa. I don't know, I can never, I like her Fontaine. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a similar character being catapulted in from nowhere and my worry about that which i have about quite you know most marvel things at the moment is things need to be tied together a bit more right now rather than they seem to be developing so many separate strands all at once and they can't all dovetail together i think it's going to get more complicated in that i still have a suspicion they're going to somehow bring agents of shield back into this I think Daredevil Born Again, given that it's 18 episodes and we're going, we know the Punisher's turning up, we're going to find out what happened to Luke and Jessica, certainly during the snap, maybe Cloak and Dagger, people like that. There's too much, I think, going on at once. And I'm not sure that having two characters who's a casual observers might seem to be the same character until they actually give them some proper character and background. It's maybe the wisest move. That's not. A reflection on Olivia Coleman, who, you know, I've thought was brilliant saying she has one line in the day-to-day, -day, I think, which is a British sort of 
news satire sketch over the early 90s. But I actually remember noticing her in that, you know, in a show that had Armando Yannucci, Mini Driver, Chris Morris. So, you know, she's clearly, she stood out as a performer all that time. But I'm more concerned about the, the position of the character, really. She definitely stands out here too. And and like physically, she in this very sort of um gray um palette, she she walks in in a very bright red suit and it's uh, is immediately, you know, very a very colorful character. So I'm looking forward to seeing more of her. Um I could watch a whole show with uh, Olivia Coleman, MI6 agent of Shield or something. <laughs> You know, that's fine. Um, so, Tim, do you think that we might get some Daisy Johnson action here? I think it's been um, rumoured, hasn't it? That's the rumour. I mean, I'd be happy to see Fitz and Simmons, to be honest, because I think they were so such brilliant characters that have been so underused and there's, you know, there's more to them. And there was a rumour, it's no difficult to up, that there was a deleted scene from No Way Home where Doctor Strange phoned Simmons while he was stuck in that mathematical metaverse oh, thing. Really? But there was also a rumour that Danny Rand was waiting in Matt Murdock's office <laughs> in one scene. So you never know how true these things are or not, because, yeah. you know, for years yeah. it was the rumour of Captain Marvel showing up at the end of Age of Ultron, which I thought was nonsense. And then years later, that clip does come out. But given the sort of people they've brought back, and the sort of people they're about to bring, oh, we're going to get Tim Blake Nelson as the leader in Captain America New World Order. They would be mad to throw away Quake. That's Chloe Bennett made such a good, there's something you can almost latch onto about that character. She's playing more than just a, you know, a damaged secret agent who can push things over by moving her hands. She gave it a real depth. The attachment that Daisy formed to every character in so many different ways, I think is as much down to her as it is down to the, the writing and the direction. And they would have to be off their trolleys not to bring her back in some way. And this would be, it would seem to be an ideal place for it. But what do we know? They keep wrong-footing me with things I think are an absolute cert. So... <laughs> I can see her fitting back into the MCU fairly easily at this point. And I mean, they've introduced so many new characters that it's it's fine. <laughs> Chloe Bennett was ju just did in like a close to a season long arc on Dave, the FX show Dave, and yeah. she was incredible. Did you watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Alec? Or... Nope. No, not a single episode. Not one. Start with season four if you go to it. <laughs> and then go back and watch the others because that's when it's it gets really <laughs> yeah, the first three seasons are very much like superhero admin show, but not not in that bureaucratic oh, way you like. That sounds, like. Yeah, hang on a sec. Let's not, <laughs> yeah, you let's were about not to say be hasty to dismiss the superhero right now. <laughs> this is supposed to be a, a series that's full of twists, Secret Invasion, and I feel like we've had a, a couple in this episode. Any predictions going forward? Um, how, where do you think this ends up? Are we going to just wrap it all up and then, you know, Nick Fury goes back up to, to Sabre and just in time for the Marvels? Or is, they gonna, is this going to have repercussions or any uh, major effect on the story going forward? You know what? I'm famously wrong with every one of my predictions. So I'm just going to go yeah. ahead and make a bold one Please. that 
uh, Marvel is going to uh, step away or step around their Kang slash Jonathan Majors problem. And they're going to use the scrolls to set up the Kree scroll war, or which is a major Avengers event. And that's what the Kang dynasty is going to actually be about. So this is going to set up the new phase of Marvel. That's my prediction. Do you think the Kang dynasty is going in the bin, Joe? Honestly, yes. <laughs> I 100% do. <laughs> I don't know that they're going to replace it with, you know, Operation Galactic Storm or Kree Scrawl War or whatever those are. But oh no, there's Kang is gone. <laughs> How about you, Tim? Any predictions for this one? Well, just to follow on from that, I mean, I didn't see why the Kang dynasty was needed when you've got secret wars. I mean, whichever secret wars it is, I mean, that's big enough on its own. You know, you've either got everyone fighting each other or a remnant of below the universe is smashed together. And, you know, that is fine. I mean, I might get cancelled for saying this, but up until stuff happened, I was thinking, wow, you know, this film isn't quite working, but Kang is brilliant. I was actually quite frightened of him in the cinema. Genuinely, as a fully grown adult. And that's the way things go when things like this happen. But I think you could you could lose it. You know, there are ways forward. And I think, to be honest with you, given that they're in need of course correction and the fact that this has been pushed back a few times and re-entered post-production a few times and there were reshoots and pickups, I would be astonished if a couple of characters we thought we'd seen the back of don't turn out to have been scrolls all along. The main one being Black Widow. Now, whether that means, I mean, Scarlett Johansson has never said, I'm done with that, the way some other people have. And there's also the potential for Lake Bell, who voiced her in What If, looks enough like Scarlett Johansson. Genuinely, you put her in that costume, you would not notice much difference. I honestly think we are going to see some kind of reappearance of Natasha. Oh, that's interesting. I hadn't really thought about that, Tim, but it's possible, right? She said she was working on a secret project for... To use the word secret. Oh, I, right? I, right, I wasn't aware of that. Well, that, uh, that provides the, further fuel for speculation. Though. As Lee says in the comments, uh, Lake Bell was in Wakanda forever. Um, uh, briefly. Very, yeah, very briefly. And then... Uh, that, that never seems to stop them, though, does it? <laughs> never. No, so you know, Afri Woodward, isn't she coming in for a third role now? So. <laughs> yeah. Alec, any predictions? So this is probably, you know, this is definitely the, the post episode one crankiness talking. <laughs> um, and I would love for them to prove me wrong. I think by the end of this, absolutely nothing of consequence will have happened. And a year from now, it will be like Secret Invasion was never on the air. I think that's a bold prediction, Alec. <laughs> I mean, like, look, in my ideal world, like, what I would like to see are like, so many scroll reveals that it becomes comical like <laughs> like like the rake stepping gag of how like it's funny at first and then gets lame and then gets funny again i would like them to reveal that like hundreds hundreds of recognizable marvel characters or scrolls just uh, like the comic <laughs> yeah I, I that's the direction i would like to see them in i would like to just like even lean into the goofiness of it just like just i would like a situation where in the finale I'm like laughing increasingly harder at the audacity of it each time. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> but my official, official on the record prediction that we can address again after episode six is that absolutely nothing of consequence will happen. And in a year from now, it will be like Secret Invasion never aired. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I was, you know, I think, I think probably for me, it's going to be Rhodey and that new president played by Dermot Mulroney, um, possibly. Uh, too although I, th- I think he might be back in Captain America 4 so maybe not um, but Rhodey almost for sure I can see being a scroll. and yeah I'd like to see some um, some uh, justice for Sharon Carter actually <laughs> just so you know <laughs> it felt like when they'd announced Secret Invasion they were like oh we're just gonna undo the uh, Sharon Carter is the power broker by revealing that she's a scroll. Um, I think it's probably too obvious at, that, at this point but um, it would be nice to see some justice for some characters that have kind of been shelved or mistreated over the years and just revealed that they've been a scroll all along and here they are they're back and they're shiny and new and they have the new opportunity to do something okay um thank you for watching and putting up with me while mike's away he will probably be back next week um let's just say i'm about 67 percent sure which is over 50 um (laughs) make sure you're subscribing to us wherever you're listening or watching right now don't forget to check out our web home of denofgeek.com where you can find all our Marvel coverage. Drop us a line and let us know your burning questions and what you want us to cover in our upcoming episodes. We're Marvel Standom on Twitter and on Instagram. If you came in late, you'll be able to watch this entire episode on denofgeek.com or our YouTube home, Den of Geek US. Don't forget you can check out our past episodes there and also wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to our special guests, Joe George and Tim Worthington. Thank you very much for joining me this week and Alec, of course. Thanks to Andrew Halley, the best producer in any corner of the multiverse. Thanks to Den of Geek social media coordinator, Lee Parham, for moderating the chat today. And go follow our TikTok, uh, Den of Geek TV, where Lee is doing amazing work. A special shout out to Michael R for making the podcast version of this show all it can be. And most of all, thank you all for watching, listening, following, and subscribing. This has been Marvel Standom on the Den of Geek Network. Until next week, Secret Invasion Episode 2, please be good to each other and stay safe.